When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, the Colorado Avalanche are 2022 Stanley Cup champions as they defeat the Tampa Bay Lightning in six games on Sunday night in what was one of the most entertaining, high-action Stanley Cup finals and playoffs, for that matter, that we've seen in quite some time. Kel McCarr was the unanimous winner of the Conn Smythe Trophy. On top of that, McCarr is one of only three defensemen to have won the Conn Smythe and the Norris Trophy in the same season. So an incredible run for the Avalanche, an incredible run for Cal McCarr, who we have been glowing about over these past couple of weeks. Taylor, what are your thoughts on the Avalanche walking away with the cup and what are some of your main takeaways? So for starters, it's like, it, it's one of the more dominant playoff runs we've seen out of uh, any team. So they went, I'm mistaken. Are they, did they go 16 and four? They right. lost two to the blues and, and two to the Tampa and like, yeah, granted, not a very tough first round series against Nashville, but they went, they played a, about a 110 point blues team, beat them in six, this two time defending uh, champion Tampa team beat them in six. And then also swept the Oilers in the conference final. So that's 16 and four. We don't see a lot of teams go 16 and four. The Kings did in 2012 and I think before that you have to go back to like the 80s Oilers to get a team that's anywhere close to that so it's one of the best runs we've ever seen especially because considering they were the second best team in the NHL in the regular season and that was with a not so great October and with some injuries it's just a a crazy impressive run from them and I think you got to see why uh, at every level during the playoffs they had two capable goaltenders although I'm not sure a goaltender's ever done had to do less to win the cup than Darcy Kemper did uh, this year. He just, they just made it very easy on him. And they, at the same time, you can look at their forward group. There's a lot. It's, it's deep. Like you, you'd start with McKinnon, who's one of the best forwards in the league. You can also go all the way down the lineup and, and you have a hard time finding a guy who isn't at least pretty good at what he does. But really what struck me as the most impressive was the way they were just able to slam the door shut on the lightning in game six there. Uh, they took a two, one lead in the second period, the entire third period, the lightning only had four shots. Like they needed a goal the entire time. And they, they really, it wasn't even just, they weren't getting shots. They weren't really even getting into their own zone or into the Colorado zone. They were just being stifled at every opportunity because Colorado, not only do they have 
the best defensive pairing in hockey with Kel McCarr and, and Dev- Devontae's. And they have, like we've said, they have three good pairings, even like Eric Johnson's like their fifth best defenseman. And he's real solid, mm-hmm. but they have like guys that can throw out there that are impossible to play against. It's not just like guys that are two way monsters like McKinnon. It's like Nachushkin and Lekkinen, not guys, not guys that are like easy to play against in any way. So that's, it's a crazy impressive run. In fact, I say the avalanche were so good that the Stanley cup was almost a little disappointing because I think most of the time it was pretty clear that they were going to win. Although I mean, Tampa did an admiral job in some ways, but like that was, it didn't feel like a matchup of Titans for a variety of reasons. Well, could there have been anybody who could have stacked up to that kind of a team? I mean, I know coming into the playoffs, we all thought that Florida would have been the one too, but clearly they showed that they weren't up to the challenge and they got outcoached in their series against Tampa. Back to Kale McCarr, I really quickly just want to go through because this guy has had one of the most impressive three-year stretches for a professional athlete or hockey player, whatever you want to say, in, in recent memory. So going back to 2019, he wins the Hobie Baker. Then his first year in the league, of course, in 2020, he wins the Calder. This year, he adds the Conn Smythe, the Stanley Cup, and the Norris to his resume. On top of that, over this past three-year stretch, he's a two-time first team all-star for the NHL and he's averaging over a point per game in his NHL career. I mean, and he's 23 years old right now. Unbelievable. And I think the cool thing too, about this avalanche team is that they're very likable and there's a lot of really good storylines within this cup run. Obviously Kel McCarr is near or at the top, but on top of that, you have Nathan McKinnon, who is one of the best playoff performances in NHL history. As of the end of this series, he is third all time, all time in playoff points per game behind two guys who were were not too bad in their day and Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. An unbelievable feat there. And again, McKinnon is just a guy that I feel like is pretty universally loved. He's a superstar in the league and is and was was really due for this cup, considering how great he's been in the postseason. On top of that, this Avalanche team as a whole is only five years removed from being the worst team in the NHL and have now won a cup. On top of that, some of the other great storylines to Nazim Kadri and all the adversity that he's had to face with just the racism that he had to deal with in the St. Louis series. And then, of course, going back to his days in Toronto and all of the talk of him being a choke artist in the playoffs and him being able to come through and win his first Stanley Cup. You have two veterans, like you had mentioned before, Eric Johnson and Andrew Cagliano, who have both played over a thousand games, who win their first Stanley Cup. I mean, you have these other young stars on the team. When you look at a guy like Nico Randon, too, being able to, to get his first cup, then you mentioned Devontae's. And then I think on top of that, too, one of the unique things that somebody had pointed out that I was reading last night, Colorado is one of the unique instances of a team who went all in to make moves at the trade deadline, and it ended up working out really well for them. I mean, Lekkinen is the one that we've been talking about really this these past couple of weeks about how huge he's been for them in a, in a middle six role. But on top of that, they also traded for Andrew Cogliano. They also traded for Nico Sturm from the Minnesota Wild when they sent Tyson Jost in that deal. So and then, of course, Josh Manson too, future Buffalo Sabres. So like there's a lot of of just cool storylines with this team. I mean, Colorado just it feels like they're a team that just built the right way. They did it the right way. And also it does not hurt when you have three teams pass on Kel McCarr in a draft too. And he ends up falling into your lap at fourth overall. So it it was a great run from Colorado. You really could not have asked for more from a Stanley cup. And I think it's, 
it, 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 there's always a certain, you know, I, I think with Tampa's case, it's, it's different because they were going for a three peak, but I think it's, it's, I don't know if validating is the right word, but it's nice when there's a team that all season long, everybody is like, this is the best team in the league. Undoubtedly, they should win the cup. And then they end up doing that because it's very rare that that actually happens. So all in all, I mean, it's, it's a great story. It's a great run from Colorado. And we had talked about this a couple episodes ago, but what we just saw Tampa do, there's a very good chance that Colorado is going to have the ability to do that as well. Now, of course, they're going to have an interesting offseason coming up as they have some guys who are on expiring deals. They have guys who in the next couple of years are going to be due for a raise and they're not going to be able to keep this core together forever. But the fact of the matter is, is you are going to have Nathan McKinnon, Cal McCarr, Gabe Landeskog, Miko Randon, and Devon Tays together. And that sets you up pretty well to keep this train rolling and to go for the repeat next year. Absolutely. Yeah. They would, I'm guessing will be the favorite going into next season, probably regardless of what happens, but I'm sure it won't be too disastrous for the off season. You know, you win the cup and you lose guys. That's, that's basically the way things go. So it's a, uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, way to look at the playoffs though. I think is like, you mentioned these being some of the most entertaining playoffs of all time. There was some talk about this, like being um, a great finals. And I don't really agree. I think it's like the best talent matchup I've seen, but like, so game one was really good. Colorado definitely, that was a, that was a kind of um, gut check game for them because they played better the entire time. They're up three, one, and then Tampa out of nowhere just scores these two quick goals to make it a game. Colorado wins in overtime, obviously. Game two was just a total blow. It's, it's one of the most lopsided games ever. And it wasn't just like a bad game by Vasilevsky or a good game by Kemper. It was just a, like a wire to wire beatdown. And like Tampa came back well in game three. And then game four was kind of like game six. Like Tampa just completely ran out of gas. And I think that's, that's the real story behind the cup to me. Like that no one else in the East could supplant Tampa. Now on one hand, that looks really good on them and they deserve a lot of credit for that. On the other hand, there's a reason that no one had made three straight cups, including the Gretzky Oilers. So that since the Islanders in the early eighties, right. the Islanders made in one, four straight. There's a reason that hasn't happened since the early eighties. It's incredibly hard to do. And it was probably even harder to do with these, this uh, COVID era workload uh, between July. Like for example, two years ago at this time, the playoffs hadn't even started really in earnest. So that's right. less than two years. They played the entire bubble last year's 56 game season last year's playoffs this 82 game season and then made it all the way to the cup again so that's that that should really shouldn't have happened and i'm not sure what should have happened but it probably should it probably involves toronto or florida stepping up in some way or carolina not losing to the rangers carolina and pittsburgh both had goaltending injuries so that's probably part of it but yeah credit tampa deserves a lot of credit because they were very clearly not they were not gonna put up a even fight with Colorado in the series, but they came back after getting blown out in game two, played a really good game three, could have won game four. And then again, they, they played an impressive game five to save off elimination. And even game six, I'll say this for them, even though they couldn't get anything going offensively, they were tough enough in their own zone to make Colorado, make sure Colorado didn't extend the lead at all. Mm -hmm. So that was impressive. And then one uh, minor complaint about this 20 seconds left, Colorado pretty, pretty clearly ices the puck. No icing called. Yeah, that was crazy. That might be a 50-50 call, but call icing in that situation. Like I 
I agree. It seemed insane to me. Everyone on the ice thought icing was coming, and then it just wasn't. Um, and then also another uh, cool thing that probably people will remember from this cup, maybe more than anything else, is the uh, Landeskog taking uh, a puck off the skate. Mm-hmm. And then and his, pushing them off. Yeah, I've never seen that happen that way. Crazy. I've never seen a slap shot hit someone directly in the skate blade and knock it off, which says how hard that slap shot was. But yeah, McKinnon dragging him off the ice to make sure they didn't have too many men. Yeah, that, that was a wild, wild sequence. But yeah, I just think with the talk of it being like a, a great finals compared to other ones, here's the thing. People don't actually remember how great finals were. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just think it when I had said that at the top of the episode, at least what I meant was just in terms of the talent. I mean, absolutely. And if we're being honest, too, when you talk about entertainment value, yeah, you know, there were definitely like blowouts. I mean, my God, Colorado whooped that ass in game two. But with that being said, though, scoring is entertainment, right? I mean, it's, oh, yeah, lots of goals are good. And so. Well, obviously the first three games, yeah, were a lot of goals. Yeah. Well, you wanted to, of course, be like a nail biter and, and back and forth like that. It is still entertaining. And I think that comparatively speaking, yeah. I mean, when you also, I think it's just as a baseline too, like going seven games, I think would qualify something as the most competitive cup because that actually is the, you know, capturing the essence of the, the real back and forth with it. And I didn't feel like there was, and I'm sure everybody realizes this too. There wasn't any point in which anybody was like, Oh, Tampa's in the driver's seat now. And I think that really is what constitutes, you know, the most, I guess, if you want to call it the best or most competitive, whatever it may be, but I did not feel as though the entertainment value was lacking in the slightest, just due to how high end the talent and skill was that was on display throughout the series. That's true. I just also think people like when I brought this up and I've, I think I said it on Twitter as well, that the, in the 2015 Stanley cup, there was no two that, goal leads yeah. until the last five minutes of the series. I have a bunch of things that came from my time hop after I think you see either game four or game five of that series about this being the, the, the tightest and closest Stanley cup of all time. No one talks about that Stanley cup basically at all. Uh, so that was, that's one to remember. 2019 was a seven game series. And honestly, it was three years ago. I don't remember that much about it. I think probably hurt by the fact that game seven was four, nothing, but that was, I mean, it's, that's just a run worth remembering from the blues 2013, the, the Bruins Blackhawks cup. That's crazy memorable. And that was the two best teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like this as well. It's, they definitely weren't, uh, the Bruins especially were not as exciting as either of these teams, but they were great. Both those teams are great. And there's multiple hall of famers in that series as well, probably close to a half dozen of them. So, and that had a crazy ending in game six. I had a crazy, I don't know if it was game three, that was like an insane high scoring game in that series, but that was a really fun series as well mm-hmm. and had a very memorable ending. So that's worth mentioning. And then I guess you also probably have to mention 2011, which I didn't like how it ended, but that was, memorable and very good and 2009 the second detroit pittsburgh series which right so yeah i, I mean it is easy conclusion to i say i thought this could have been better because this is still the, the best talent matchup it could have been better than all of them but uh the avalanche are a little bit too good to let that happen yeah yeah well and i think that's the thing is that what we're talking about like you and i right now at least are kind of two different conversations you know like you yeah. like saying like you're going from like the competitive side of it where like the back and forth aspect of it and i'm talking more in terms of like the skill set 
entertainment value, I guess. But even either way, I mean, I think that there's a lot of interweaving when you talk about entertainment value when it's two teams that are so evenly matched as compared to two teams that just have a ton of skill. Um, but either way, yeah. oh, go ahead. If if, if the, not that it was all bad or anything, but if every game was like more like one, three, and five, I just the end the ending how well i guess it's it's tough to to say exactly because the end of game four isn't or six just because tampa like was tough enough to make sure those games are close but they also can you say that tampa was entertaining for the second half of game four or at all in game six or in game two like there's just too too often the tampa looked overmatched and kind of tired which both are understandable absolutely yeah i don't think anyone's holding that against them for sure also it it's not exactly the easiest thing when Braden Point's not playing. Yeah, that that hurts the series. Like I know Gerard has been out for a little right. while too, but and Burkowski didn't did he not play on in the last game? But none, neither of those guys are Braden Point. Right. That would have helped a little bit. And plus Kucherov did not look exactly like himself in in game six. He had two real nice opportunities, but kind of flubbed both of them. And right. And now I mean the, the big thing too over the next like week is gonna be finding out about the extent of the injuries on both sides for that matter. But as far as we do know, though, and from what reports have indicated, Tampa was pretty banged up coming into this series. Yeah. So looking at how Colorado built their team too, uh, a couple interesting things. I mentioned like them having the best pairing in hockey. So Taze, there's a lot of times that there's a quiet trade and that trade ends up being crazy impactful, like Adam Fox getting traded. No one knew he was going to become Adam Fox or the Philip Forsberg trade, although that was pretty big at the time. People were kind of scratching their heads about that. Yeah. But this this one strikes me as crazy. It was just like, a, oh, that's a pretty solid move for Colorado. And the Islanders just gave this guy up. Like, what if the Islanders had him in last year? Could they have won the cup? Maybe. They that's went to game bad. seven of the conference final. Yeah. So that's – it's wild that they gave up on him for cap reasons, but they're still like, no, we need <laughs> – what is their line? The identity line? Yeah. Or like uh, Cal Clutterbuck or just a billion of the uh, wow. identical forwards they have. Crazy. But the other guy in that pairing is Makar, who is kind of important to something you referenced earlier about Colorado being the worst team in the NHL five years ago. They weren't just the worst. They were the worst team points wise in an 82 game season uh, since I don't know when. Actually, I, I probably should know. There's, there's probably some expansion team, honestly. And the, obvi- the, the caveat there is the 21 Sabres and the 2020 Red Wings didn't get to play an 82-game season. They both might have been worse. So, yeah, like the Avalanche were worse than the Tank Sabres. They were worse than the 2018 Sabres. They are worse than all these bad teams you remember. They were worse than the, the Coyotes were this year, I'm pretty sure. And what's crazy about that is Landis Gog and McKinnon were on the team. And I I, I don't know and if Brandon was actually – yeah, was that Randon's um, first year up? Yep. And Johnson was there. I think those were the four that were were there then. There might be one other one that we're missing, but. Yeah, they were a full 60, I believe it's 65 or 66 points worse than Ooh. they had been three years earlier. When that was, we've talked about this, but they had a big year where everything went right. And then there was some right-sizing after that, especially before McKinnon became like a super duper star. And that led to like, <laughs> the O'Reilly trade. Cause they didn't know what was going wrong. They traded PA Parento for a very, very old Danny Briere. They traded O'Reilly. Another funny thing. Two of the three teams that have had O'Reilly have won the cup. Now um, they, 
and then eventually they got terrible. And I'm sure that's a bad luck season. It's Bednar's first year. There's probably a lot of underlying stuff that was going wrong for them, but they didn't have good depth. They didn't, they didn't have a good organizational structure. And Joe Sackick to his credit really changed everything about them, changed uh, their front office, their coaching. And they, they, you know, they brought in uh, a lot, a lot of smart guys into that front office, but what they didn't do is win the draft lottery. In fact, they didn't get any of the three lottery spots. They got the fourth pick. They got shut out of the top three. And that was a huge blessing in disguise because the top of the 2017 draft, man, there are some whiffs compared to who went because the first over pick is um, perfectly pretty good forward. Nico Heischer to the devils. Yeah. Fine. Second overall pick Nolan Patrick, 77 points since then as a center, not good. Third overall pick Miro Heiskinen. So that's a defenseman that went before the fourth overall pick Kale McCarr. Who so is that's undoubtedly the best player out of that draft. Yeah, hundred percent. And another guy I should mention, it makes it seem even more possible. This was a 47 point team. They had Matt Duchesne. They traded him as well, which was yep. huge because that's how they got Bowen Byram. Another guy who's on this team. And they like, they also, they were an eight seed within a year. Like it wasn't a slow, it, in some ways it was a slow build, but it was, they were immediately a playoff team again, the following season. And then within a couple of years, they were starting to be talked about as a cup team. But a lot had to go, uh, you know, a lot went right for them, but a lot went wrong first. And the McCarr thing is the perfect example of something going wrong and then going right because he's the best player in that draft. He's probably the best young defenseman in hockey, and he's a Conn Smythe winner and a potential Hart Trophy candidate. Do they win the cup without him? Do they win the cup if they have Heisken in instead? Maybe, but it's closer. Do they win it if they get the second pick and, you know, just take the consensus number two, Nolan Patrick? They probably don't win the cup. Nope. That's definitely fair. Definitely fair. And that's the thing is with them. I mean, all of their, their key guys were lottery picks that were taken over time. Rantanen was a top 10 pick. Landeskog was second overall. McKinnon, of course, was first overall. Byram, I think, was also fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that was the Senators pick. Right, the, right. The trade. You have Byram there. You have Makar going for. I mean, it's... The, the, they're a team they they built through the draft and they did it well and they drafted well and and this is what happens and that's what's i think interesting too about them is that it's not all just with guys who were slam dunk picks at the time i mean outside of mckinnon none of those guys were really sure picks for where they were taken i mean maybe landiscog because he went second overall but like again like randon was in that stack 2015 draft and granted they probably could have taken three or four different guys and they would still be okay considering how deep that draft was but again they also could have taken a bunch of guys that weren't good at that position yeah no that's fair too that's fair and so that's the thing i mean good 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 on them they and of course two guys who also contributed down the stretch first round picks alex newhook even though he played in more of a bottom six role um and again it's just that mix where you build the foundation yourself you built it through the draft and then you make the key moves to bring in guys to put yourself over the top when you know that you're on the cusp. I mean, on top of it, we haven't even talked about the fact that they traded a first round pick for Darcy Kemper and it worked out. Okay. You know, I I think he certainly had his ups and downs too, as, as we all know throughout this playoffs, but and injury concerns actually for that matter as well. And talking about just the season as a whole, but that move ended up taking him over the top, you know, uh, having him, that was the upgrade they needed, even though Philip Grubauer was, was great for them last year. 
Kemper ended up being the, the piece that they needed in net. And yeah, they invested a first round pick in, in a goalie or they traded a first round pick for a goalie. But when it works out, it's like, who cares? You know, the, oh no, we're not picking 32nd overall this year, but we want a Stanley Cup. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. And so, yeah, again, going back to the trade deadline moves that ended up paying off for them. I mean, this team was just perfectly constructed and uh, you're right, 100%. Like, hats off to Joe Sackick for being able to construct this roster and not only through building through the draft, but just in general with their other moves too, building a team that's going to be able to continue to be a contender for a long time. I mean, again, when your foundational pieces are Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr, who, again, a top three forward in the league and probably the best defenseman in the league at this point now, all the other stuff is just going to fall into place when you have that, when you have two guys who are that dominant at their respective positions. And again, it doesn't also hurt that you have guys like Landis and Ranton and locked up too for the foreseeable future. So good for Colorado, man. They uh, they're, they're a likable team, a good group there. It's going to be interesting to see how they end up approaching the off season because it feels almost inevitable that Nazim Kadri is going to be gone. It feels almost inevitable that, Manson is going to be gone. We don't know if they're going to be able to, or if, what their plan is in net, like how much they're going to want to invest in Kemper because he's going to be due for a raise now. So definitely some question marks there, but I think in spite of that, they're still going to be a team that's positioned to make runs at the cup for many, many, many years. As long as McKinnon and Makar in their prime, they're going to be okay. Yeah. And some other guys you mentioned there, like you, you talked about Rantanen. Rantanen is, um, he gets overshadowed obviously because there's a couple guys in the team that are better than him, but I would like to point out here that he has exactly a point per game in his NHL career. He went 10th overall in 2015. He has 408 points in 408 games for reference. Jack Eichel had 380 and 409 games. Now Ranton has played with better teammates, no doubt, but that's, that's pretty wild to point out that he's, since he's come up, he didn't come up for the first two years, I believe, but he's been crazy durable since he has become a full-time NHL player. And like, you know, you mentioned how good the 2015 draft is, and it really is all the way through like the first five rounds, at least this one is worth noting though, the, you, you could have ended up with either a superstar or someone who wasn't good in the middle of the draft. These are, I mean, Dylan Strom went ahead of him, Noah Hannafin, Pavel Zaka, Ivan Provorov, all went ahead of him. Zach Wierenski and Timo Meyer are good, but not as good as him. And they went ahead of him. And then you look immediately after him and it's Lawson Krause, Dennis, Ger- Dennis or Denis Garionov. I think Dennis. Uh, <laughs> Jakob Zorbril, <laughs> Jake DeBrusque and Zach Senshin. Shout, shout out to the Bruins for that little trio. Cause who comes right after them? Barzell, Kyle Connor, Thomas Shabbat and the I fake Evgeny Svechnikov. And then Erickson Eck. I mean, it's a great draft. I could go through the whole draft. It's awesome. But like you see that a lot of teams, well, one team in particular struck out three times, but a lot of teams just ended up with guys who are pretty good, which is fine for the middle of the draft. But what they did is they got the, would you say the best player outside of the uh, top two? Is there someone I'm really missing here? Mm, I mean, Marner's in the conversation i mean he's, yeah it'd be a conversation with like a, i guess him marner aho yeah aho kyle connor is up there too yeah so they did a good job though with yeah. that oh, and yeah. then landeskog that's what a run this guy has been with colorado for more than a decade now i believe he got did he get picked second to uh nugent hopkins yes 
So that's been that shows how long that's been. He's also kind of funny too. While we're talking, twenty nine years old, huh? They had a they had a couple of other just like inconsequential top picks too. I mean, Eric Johnson obviously going first overall, but also Ryan Murray, third overall pick. He ends up winning a cup now too. Oh my god! Yeah, (laughs) Ryan Murray. Ryan Murray, man, crazy stuff. Can you believe that Eric Johnson is a Stanley Cup winner? Isn't it, didn't he not win already? Did he not win with Pittsburgh? I don't know if he did. Was he there when they? Probably not, honestly, that I'm thinking about it. No, but he, that is actually nice then because he's been around success uh, his entire career without being successful. Yeah, he was a king from 06 to 11. He's a third overall pick as well. He gets, well, actually 2012, he got traded the, the trade deadline in 2012, right before the Kings win two cups in three years, goes to Columbus. Yeah, he comes to Pittsburgh the year after they had won two cups. Wow. Goes to New York, leaves right before they go to the conference final, and then Colorado. He wins a cup. Good for him. Seems like a, a nice young fellow. Not really good. but yeah, Not good, but he's been through a lot in his career, so I'm happy for him that he won. Do you remember that from like a few years back? Oh, yeah. His parents out? stole all his money? Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Good for so, him. Yeah, and then good for Darren Helm, who went 14 years between winning Stanley Cups. Crazy. I'll tell you what, there's only two times in this entire postseason that Colorado seemed they could be in any little bit of trouble. It was game six against St. Louis. And Darren Helm came up huge in that. That's the first time I seemed like they could be in any kind of even a little bit of trouble. He scored with what, five seconds left in that game to clinch that series for him? Mm-hmm. That's huge because it was his first goal to play. It was his first goal in like 20 something games. So that was. Absolutely huge. The other would be, I guess, the beginning of last night when the Lightning didn't look great. Well, the Lightning looked awesome for like, what, 10 minutes last night? They scored a goal to take the lead. Uh, And then, you know, from that point on, they really slammed the door shut. So that was it. One of the two times they could be in any trouble at all, even just a little bit of trouble. Darren Helm was there for him one of those times. Darren. And also worth mentioning, Stanley Cup winning goal scored by Arturi Lekkinen. So he's not, he scored the actual winners, the overtime winners uh, in the Western Conference Finals. To, well, the Western Conference Finals this year, whatever you want to call the, the weird COVID year conference finals, two years ago, last year. Yep. And then scores the Stanley Cup winning goal. Arturi Lekkinen, what a run this guy's had. Another guy that's, that was a real good pickup for them. Let's talk uh, about the flip side really quick. I wanted to well, should we hear from our sponsors first? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So this is an interesting one, folks, because the Stanley Cup's over, but we still have the same ad. So let's just talk about DraftKings in general. You guys don't know DraftKings. Uh, you know, there's still a lot going on in the, in the world of sports. There's always something going on, but even in the, the important stuff, there's, you know, there's baseball going on. The College World Series just ended, I believe, but you still got the MLB, you'll have some tennis and golf stuff going on all summer. So you can bet all that on all that stuff. But, you know, next year, you'll be able to bet on hockey again. In fact, that's only three and a half short months away. So the pursuit of next year's Stanley Cup is, you know, it's kind of on considering the uh, free agency and the draft is coming up. Pursuit's always on. Mm-hmm. So DraftKings has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports, which they themselves are just coming up in a less than uh, 10 months. <laughs> So when that happens, you can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. So looking to turn a small bet into a big payday? 
DraftKings same game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot, an even bigger payout. Now, you can do that for anything. It's not just hockey. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, about $5 on any NHL team to win, and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See our show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. Uh, So before we talk about Tampa, one other thing I want to mention is that it does kind of seem like Toronto is becoming what the Flyers used to be in terms of their notable former players winning it all. Uh, Phil Kessel obviously won in 2016 and 17. Tyler Bozak, 2019, and now Nazem Kadri in 2022. So congrats to the former Leafs. Shout out. We love that. We really, really do. Can I ask, are you in any way sad for Corey Perry? Because there's been a lot made of, of course, him making and losing three straight finals, which like undoubtedly sucks. And also he's getting towards the end of his career. But I think a lot of people are forgetting a few key things with this. The main one being the guys already won a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, that's the main thing. I felt bad for, you know, it made me sad to see like his wife crying while holding their kid. Uh, I don't really yeah, like Corey Perry. Really yeah, but he is part of now a really interesting trivia question, which is, you know, the Lightning going to three straight cups. He's one of the only guys that's a part of all three. So that would, I'm sure there's, that'd be a trick question in, in bar trivia someday. You're like, uh, was Eric Chernak there for all three? Yeah, I think it's like 13 guys, 12 Lightning players, and then one Corey Perry. Oh, I see what you're saying. Just those three in a row. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, from and, and then also, too, he's had a very decorated career. Like, he, yeah, he won Olympic gold twice, right? He's fine. Looking ahead, so, though, Taylor, do you think that the East is still Tampa's to lose, or do you think that somebody else next year is undoubtedly going to take over for them? Well, I'm looking right now. I'm going to do a very important Google because I'm looking at their spot track page. What is the NHL salary cap for next year? I know it just went up a little bit. Good question. I don't know. And I should also say too, that us talking about this is obviously way too early considering we don't know what's going to be going on with free agency and trades in the draft, but who cares? This is a podcast. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. It looks like they have, unless I'm looking at this wrong, they're over the cap right now. Now this is what I'm confused about looking at spot track. Maybe I should go to cap friendly. Um, but it's showing up as 2022. Is that next year or this year? Because I thought they had Corey Perry signed for 22, 23. Like they wouldn't show this year, would they? Cause the season's over. I don't know if they updated it that quickly. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm going to go to cap friendly to make sure I'm not going crazy. Cause I, I don't really understand this at all. Um, but yeah, so the, the long and short of it is regardless of which website I go to is they are paying a lot of guys, a lot of money, and they're going to have to do some maneuvering. And now they helped themselves out a little bit with this Brandon Hagel trade, even though that, you know, it, it, it wasn't free in terms of draft picks, but he's a, a real quality player for very, very little money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeesh, they do not have very much coming up in the draft in the next few years. <laughs> good thing. They're good now. All right. So. Yeah, so for next year, I was looking at it the uh, the right way, I think. So, yeah, okay. 
Oh boy. Yeah. They have a ton of money committed already next year. They are at 84.4 million. So they are almost 2 million over the cap. Uh, they have most guys signed to be to their credit. Uh, they don't have a ton of guys to, to fill in. They have 11 forwards, six defensemen, two goalies signed for next year. Uh, but they need to shed something because <laughs> they're starting the year over the cap. So you, I, I kind of wonder. So Jan Rude is a free agent. I, I guess you figure they're going to lose him, Riley Nash. Andre Palat's got to be gone, right? I don't know how they're able to bring him back. I mean, they're going to have to move money somewhere. Yep. Uh, Vince LeCavier is still getting paid. Good for him. Good for him. When is yeah. Sorelli up? Is that next year? Sorelli, yeah, this is his last year. So they're going to try to fit in. He's a RFA, which helps, but they're going to have to try to fit him in. Uh, and then Kalorn will be a UFA. I mean, eventually they just have to let some guys like that go. Uh, but yeah, looking at this now, they have, I mean, they have some guys on some bargain deals. Barry Blaze back for 758. Maroon, Perry, and Bellamar all make a million. Col- Ross Colton has another year at 1.1 million. Hagel's only at 1.5. But they're paying Kucherov in point, 9.5 each. Stamkos, 8.5. Hedman, 7.8. McDonough, 6.7. That's a bit much for McDonough. For now, for one more year, Sergeyev's at 4.8. Yeah, this looks like – you know what? I'm going to say this, Brandon. This is a, a year where they really, really have to go on because Vasilevsky makes 9.5 as well. Mm. I think this is a, a good year for them to go on. Not that it's their last year or anything, but they barely have any free agents. They just have the minor guys I mentioned, the, the best of which is probably Andre Pilat. After this year, they're going to have RFA deals for Chernak, Sergachev, Kale Futdu, as well as Ross Colton and Anthony Sorelli. And while Bellamar, Perry, and Elliot will be free agents, unrestricted free agents, which, you know, none of those guys are a huge deal. Mm-hmm. So this looks like a good year to, um, I don't know, I guess, try to, try to figure out a, a way to get back to the cup for a fourth straight year. And, and not worry too much about the future. Someone's going to have to, I mean, and we've been saying this too the last couple of years where it's like, someone's going to have to give eventually. So who knows, maybe they try and get out ahead of it and move some money around this coming off season, but it's going to be interesting for them because it's not going to get any easier. And while they're a team, you know, similar to Colorado in a way where they're positioned where, some of their key pieces are still on the young side and point Kucherov and Vasilevsky, you know, Stamkos, he's still performing at a high level, but he's not getting any younger. McDonough is making, like you said, a lot of money for what he is now, even though he's still solid, you know, Hedman is still going to be good for the next few years, but when is the decline going to come for him too? So some serious questions there with Tampa. I don't know. I, I, and I also think that at some point, like they're going to have to lose earlier in the playoffs. Like the fatigue is just, it's going to stick with them. You know, like we hear about it every year where teams that make the cup end up, I don't know if you want to call it getting tired out, but it, it starts to affect them. And we hear about that. And this is the third year in a row that they've played this deep into the playoffs. I mean, father time or the father fatigue, whatever you want to call it is going to be coming for them soon. So I don't know. I, I want to wait and see how free agency trades drafts ends up shaking out and everything, but oh, I, I got to think, even though they've made three straight, I don't know if Tampa is going to be the team to come out of the East next year. 
And I'm yeah. not saying that in terms of like, oh, I'm doubting them or anything like that. But yeah, something's going to have to give at some point here. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they did almost lose. They were down 2-0 to the Rangers and they were down 3-2 to the Leafs this year. So they, at some point, they won't be able to win every close playoff series. Right. But worth, uh, worth pointing out here, could they just dump Kalorn in the offseason? Here's the two moves that make sense to me for them. Uh, Kalorn is one year left, so make a trade Kalorn to try to get draft picks back. What's he at, like 5 million? 4.4. So that would get them under the cap. They'd be able to fill in two forward spots with two million. So they have to get two guys for a million each. So that they'd be paying a lot of guys very little money next year uh, at their bottom six. They, I think, man. So they, if they did that, they could just, they could just trade them for like a second round pick. Maybe someone take Lauren for like a second, right. Depending on where it is, or maybe a couple picks. Yeah. Because right. As it stands right now, they have, they are missing their second, third, fourth this draft, their first and second next draft, and their first and 24. And they're fourth and 24. So they have a couple picks from the Blackhawks in there, a couple fourth round picks, but they are they're they will not be picking in the top three very much in the next few years. No. So they I guess in that in that case, if they traded Kalorn, they could get something back for that, get his money off the books. I know he's a good player, but there's uh, you know what? Now I'm looking at this. He has a modified no trade. <laughs> That's not great. So they'd have to get a list of teams from him. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about it too, like if we're valuing him at say like a second round pick, that's going to be a lower end second round pick anyways to a contender that's trying to maybe upgrade on like the power player and their middle six wingers or something like that. Yeah, so that's, yeah, I guess that's something to consider. And then the other thing is, they find a sucker for Ryan McDonough who has a no trade clause. So he'd have to approve this. Uh, McDonough makes 6.75 million through 2026. So, wow. I'm sure they'd like to get out of that or they could get out of the circuit chef business a year early if they want to cash out on him. Although I wouldn't do that if I were them. I think they should trade him to the Sabres. All right, fair enough. Let's get it done. He's right-handed, isn't he? I believe so. All right. Well, here we go. Well, he, it looks like he's ambid- ambidextrous, according to uh, Cat Friendly. <laughs> Come on. That they haven't listed as both. His handedness or what side he plays? Yeah. His handedness. Or no, side. Sorry, side, yeah. Let's see. Let's get to the bottom of this. Yeah, because uh, I just... So they what they do is they have they have Elliot for cheap as a backup goalie, smart, less than a million dollars. He's played oh, before. Man. And they have like they have like Bogosian for super cheap. They have Cal Foot for cheap. Like there, there's really very few things they could do here. Like they what they really have to look into is getting getting rid of Kalorn and or uh McDonough to make this happen, to, to be able to get under the cap and because they could just roll into next season with Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev, Chernak, Bogosian, and Foot on defense. They have their two goalies signed, and they have 11 forwards. So if they just got rid of Kalorn, like we said, they could just add two guys for like $2 million and that'd be it. Otherwise, I don't know what the hell they're going to do. <laughs> they're at $84.4 million. And like, probably goes without saying, you don't want to go into the season. You know, we can't go in over the cap. You don't want to go into the season at the cap. Right. 
you want to ha- give yourself some space. Now, we even brought this up yet, but what are the odds they find someone who uh, has to go on LTIR? Well, you got to say things. <laughs> uh, and, you know, Ryan McDonough, he just, his leg is killing him. He's going to have to go on LTIR for the next uh, four seasons, and that'll be it. He's got this cramp that he just can't seem to shake. Yeah, hmm. tough, tough for him. Any other thoughts you'd like to share on the Stanley Cup at all, Taylor? Nope. Nice. What are you, what's your recommendation for today? Uh, the Black Phone, which I saw last week. Folks, have you seen the movie Sinister? What if I told you you could have that director, star Ethan Hawke, and the guy whose name I always forget who plays the cop in Sinister, who also is in the movie It, was also Ziggy Sabaka in The Wire. What if I, you know, I told you you could have them in another similarly, not similar tone, but similar level of quality horror movie. It'd be a pretty good time. And it was a pretty good time. So worth checking out. I mean, it's the, James Ransone is the guy's name, by the way, that I was thinking of. Uh, it's it's a, it's fun, pre- my, a fun premise is tough because it's about a kidnapper, but like a spooky premise and all the, the child actors, I think, do a very good job. So uh, worth the watch. Cool. All right. I'm going to go with, because I don't think I actually got to do a formal recommendation for it yet, but I did just finish Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, who's that now? Yeah, I know. Season finale came out on Wednesday. And I got to say, I really, really liked it. I know when it comes to most things, Star Wars, that's not like the rise of Skywalker. I'm generally pretty positive. But I would recommend this to you, Taylor. Like, I liked it that much. I would recommend it to anybody if you have an interest in Star Wars and haven't watched it. There was a lot of smoke around it early on. And there was, uh, you know, a lot of that was just rooted in people who were being racist and horrible to one of the show's stars. But um, who the character who plays Reva in it, uh, Moses Ingram is her name, the actress's name. Um, I, a lot of like the, what people tried to pass as like criticisms about her acting or the story or whatever, I think were really unfounded, but front to back, I mean, it's a six episode series, so it's pretty quick, which is nice. And I think throughout it, it does a really great job of adding a lot of depth to the characters from the prequels. And I think it also answers a lot of questions that were left open still that maybe didn't need answers, but it would have been nice to get them while still honoring what ends up happening in the original trilogy. Like there was no retconning or anything like that. And everything that they did within the series still makes sense in terms of the events that end up playing out in the original trilogy. And and I'll even go as far to say that I think it makes a lot of stuff that happens in the originals make even more sense now. Beyond that, Ewan McGregor gives an unbelievable performance, obviously, in the title character. Really great having Hayden Christensen back, too. I know he catches a lot of flack for, you know, the prequels and everything like that. I think a lot of that just comes down to is not great writing. Uh, No offense, George Lucas, but you could have been steering the ship, but just let somebody else do the directing and, and the script writing for those. And I think we would be having a much different conversation about how they look. With that being said, though, Hayden Christensen did a great job. I think it was nice, and he probably got a lot of closure out of it, considering it's the show itself has been pretty widely acclaimed. But really great action. I mean, the lightsaber battles, especially in the finale, it, it was it was top notch stuff. A lot of really great emotional acting, and the story of it is also really cool too. Like I think now that it's over with, 
the the plot and what the show ended up being was a lot different than what I guess I was anticipating going into it, which I think makes it that much more special. And so all in all, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I think it was great. And I don't know if they're going to do a second season, but considering how good this one went, I think that they could still do a second season without it spoiling a good thing. So <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi, two thumbs up for me. Definitely a big fan. So that's my, my recommendation. All right. Um, my random former saver of the episode is JT Comfer. Wow. Mine is too. Shout out to JT Comfer, Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, good just, for him. Just as we all predicted, JT Comfer would be a Stanley Cup champion in 2022, just like we all said six years ago, or however long it's been. Yeah, right? Seven years ago. When did that trade happen? Seven years ago. Seven, seven years, years ago, ago uh, Saturday. Last wow. Saturday. So, goodness. All right. Well, everybody, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using to stream this episode. Make sure you are checking out all of our other shows on both networks as they're continuing to put out great content, especially as we're getting into the off season too. The Charging Buffalo is starting to put out a lot of their draft previews. So make sure you're checking those out as well. And make sure you're checking them out on social media and check us out on social media too. You can find us at Straight Up Sabres on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Last but not least, as Taylor had mentioned before, head over to DraftKings and use that promo code THPN to take advantage of great deals when you are checking out. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday, everybody. Hope you're having a great start to your week. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sabres.